Hello, everyone, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. This is the fourth episode that we are cutting. We just launched last week. Those of you who have listened, we thank you for listening, and those of you who have begun to subscribe, we thank you for subscribing. We are very enthusiastic about this new venture. We've been looking forward to moving off the web alone and printed uh, offerings to all of you and prefer to keep in touch with you directly uh, and more frequently through the use of podcasts. Podcasts certainly seem to be not simply the thing of the present, but the thing of the future. Podcast use is growing in leaps and bounds, and the audience demographic um, that is using podcasts cuts across virtually all age barriers. And surprisingly, older Americans, I don't mean old, old, but older Americans, those who are in their 50s, and even their 60s, are turning to podcasts more and more. And I think there are cultural reasons for that. Reasons having to do with the fact that as America is changing, its value system seems to be changing. If anything has been shown throughout these recent weeks with the COVID-19 and the violence following the custody death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement and the reinvigorated Antifa movement, it shows that young people have a very, very different view of how the world should be, what government should be about, and what it should do for you than those of my generation or older generations. Uh, and it's very, very sad because what is being taught in schools is less teaching and more indoctrination. How young people in the most prosperous country in the world, in the history of the world, can be so fascinated and enamored with communism and socialism is quite beyond me. They think somehow that there's a, a, a paradise out there, a nirvana, that can exist in socialism. And they think that the reason why it hasn't worked so far, which is something that's painfully obvious, it hasn't worked anywhere it's been tried. People who live under it live in misery, and they're kept in those countries with walls. Uh, is simply because human intervention screwed it up. If we could just take humans out of the equation, this communist socialist system would be just fine. Well, you really can't have a system that governs people without people. So I don't see how that's going to work. Uh, so it, it's, it's really a fool's errand. But they are being indoctrinated. Our institutions of higher learning are getting more and more controlled by those on the far left. And opposition views are, are simply not tolerated. Take a case in point. Now, this is a story that didn't get much play. Uh, and this happened right here in my home state of New York. A young Asian man by the name of Austin Tong, who had emigrated from China as a very, very young boy, and apparently was doing extremely well in school here, is a senior at Fordham University. Now, Austin became quite concerned after this COVID-19 virus took place because uh, a lot of the news cycles were saying that it came from China and that it may even be a biological weapon that was developed by China and happened to escape the laboratory and uh, caused this worldwide pandemic. Now, it may have escaped either by accident or it may have been let out deliberately. That we're still working on. The jury is still out, but it's interesting. Well, Austin Tong posted two photographs on his Instagram account that seemed to bother people. One was of 
former St. Louis police captain David Dorn. Now, you may realize or remember that David Dorn was the police captain that was killed in St. Louis in the early days following this George Floyd mess. He was a veteran. He also happened to be an African-American. It was a real tragedy what happened to Captain Dorn. Now, apprehensive as uh, Austin was with all this anti-Asian sentiment that might be going around, uh, he was worried. And so he bought himself an AR-15. All he did was buy it. He bought it. It was legal. He didn't use it on anyone. He didn't point it at anyone. He didn't threaten anyone. But he took a picture of himself standing with this gun. And he wasn't standing in a threatening pose or with an intimidating look on his face. It was just a picture. And there was no caption, no description, no sentiment expressed, nothing. He posted it on his Instagram. That picture got him a visit from campus security at midnight, pounding on his door. It started a whole chain of events, which had him meeting with the dean, having a review of his conduct, and eventually he was told they, he was found guilty of making threats and intimidation. And this man had done nothing. And he was no longer allowed on the Fordham University campus. Furthermore, he was given a list of things that he had to do if he wished to complete his degree at Fordham University. And among those things, naturally, were apologies that had to be made uh, to a whole host of people and then taking down uh, those photographs. Well, Austin Tong, and his video is up online if you go look for it, despite seeming like a very, very mild-mannered young man uh, that you might expect would, re would be uh, caving into this intimidation, to his credit said, basically, the hell with that. I'll see you in court. He's going to fight for his rights. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this incident, although it's not something that widely gets in the news, and that's one of the reasons why you're going to be tuning into National Preview Online Podcast. Yes, I'm going to be speaking about topics in the news, but I'm going to try to bring you stories that other news outlets and agencies don't necessarily bring you. Now, this whole story is a perfect illustration of precisely what is wrong with our society. This man did nothing wrong. The left in this country doesn't simply dislike people who disagree with it. They don't think they should be allowed to say or do anything. And they have to be crushed and intimidated. That's why they're going out doxing these police officers, trying to get their identities, their names, and putting the locations of their homes and their families. This is criminal. Something should be done about it. And then they wonder why when Trump sent the, Amer the um, federal law enforcement entities into Portland that all those identification uh, factors were removed from the uniforms. That's precisely why, because it's, it's in the interest of self-preservation. So we're going to be following uh, the saga of Mr. Austin Tong at Fordham University, and we wish him great luck. And Mr. Tong, if for some reason or somehow this podcast reaches you and you're made aware of it, we want you to know that we would be more than welcome to provide any information you can provide to us, and we would be glad to do an interview with you and put it up on our podcast for our listeners to uh, hear your side of the story, and uh, that offer is a standing offer. But we will be following this case. Now, in other things going on, this COVID-19 drama is really driving everything right now in the United States of America. 
and it's really, really causing people to take sides, and it's causing a divide between people who you may have thought previously were friends of yours or who agreed with you and yourself and your families. This whole business of the mask. Well, there was a study that was conducted uh, a few weeks ago. It was a coughing study. They took people who were contaminated with the COVID-19 virus, infected, and they put them in a room, made them cough for about 30 minutes because they wanted to measure how much in the way of aerosolized particles were being emitted from their mouths during the course of these coughs. And they found virtually no discernible amount, which calls into great question, A, how is this thing actually transmitted? And B, what is the method of transmission? Now, more and more, I'm beginning to think it may be less aerosolized and more a contact thing. You know, people touching their mouths or touching their eye, touching a mucous membrane, then touching a surface. I'm not so sure it's coming out um, in a respiratory fashion. It may attack the lungs once it infects someone, but I'm not so sure that that's the method of transmission. And quite frankly, I don't think the CDC is that sure either. Now, it seems that washing the hands is one of the best ways to avoid getting infected with this thing. Constantly washing and washing the hands. And to that end, the mask might not be such a good idea. And they say it may actually hold particular matter. So you have people getting into fights over the ridiculous mask and this mask requirement, uh, and we don't even know if it's, if it's worthwhile and it'll do anything. And then, to top it all off, you have our politicians who couldn't be more hypocritical. And none other than our own, very own, Andy, I'm dumb as a stump, Cuomo, the illustrious governor of the state of New York. Here's a guy that's going around preaching the mask, preaching social distancing, uh, mandating quarantines if people go to a state, uh, a certain state on his list, and when they come back to New York, they have to spend 14 days in quarantine. Now, old Andy boy, he went down to Georgia for some political rallies and some meetings down there, and he was back-slapping people and hugging people, and I saw the photographs. He had no mask on. He didn't practice any social distancing. And when he came back to New York, he wasn't quarantined. And then he said, well, I had a COVID-19 test. I'm okay. Hey, schmuck, the incubation period is two weeks. You went down there. You had a COVID-19 test when you came back a day later. And it was only three days since you went to the trip or less, two days. You're not going to get a positive result. So what the hell is the test about? But that's why he's Andrew, dumb as a stump, Cuomo. His father was a smart man, a leftist man, but he was a smart man. Andrew Cuomo is left and dumb. And his brother, Chris Cuomo, is probably left and dumber, or at least as dumb. So we've got dumbbells in Albany, and we have another dumbbell on CNN that props him up and thinks everything is a conspiracy against his brother, and that everything that's wrong with the world is Trump's fault. And I always find it laughable that People in Washington, the Nancy Pelosi's, the Chuck Schumer's, the Joe Biden's, the people who have been in Washington for 30, 40, sometimes 50 years, and have been intimately involved in every facet of government and are responsible for the position that we're in today, in large part, responsible for the programs that have taken this country and run it into a mountain of debt. And they're the ones that say they can fix it and that it's all Trump's fault. He created it all. 
in, in three and a half years all by himself. But their 40, 50 years had nothing to do with it. Where did all this debt come from before? Trump wasn't around then. I think Trump's done a hell of a job trying to roll back this stuff. Doesn't even take the money from the job. So we have COVID-19 and we have Austin Tong on, on the list today. All these things are happening. Now, we're also getting some more revelations regarding COVID-19, because I did want to speak a little bit about the COVID-19 virus, just to bring you up to date on some information that may be getting reported on the regular news agencies, but they're not really emphasizing it. So if you don't really listen extremely carefully, you'll miss it, because they just kind of gloss over it. Now, everybody, though, has covered the story uh, of the 300 testing locations in the state of Florida that all reported 100% positive test results for everyone they tested for the COVID-19 over a given period of time. Now, it's impossible to have a 100% infection rate. It really is impossible. And this goes to show you that things are being manipulated. Death numbers are being manipulated. We even had Dr. Burks, you know, the woman who wears the scarf all the time, the scarf lady, as she's called. We even have her admitting this. What they have done in an effort to inflate the numbers and make this thing seem more dangerous, more deadly, and more prevalent than it actually is, is they've made a well, they've, there is a distinction, but they're not making the distinction. There is a distinction between dying from COVID-19 and dying with COVID-19. Let me explain that. Dying from COVID-19 means that medical people can verify that you have been infected with the COVID-19 virus and that your cause of death was that COVID-19 virus. Now, if that's the case, your death should be appropriately be recorded as a COVID-19 death, and I have no problem with that, and I don't think anyone should have a problem with that. But when you have people who are being sent to, say, Calvary Hospital, and for those of you out of New York, Calvary Hospital is a hospital, lovely facility located in the Bronx in New York City, and it is an end-of-life care facility. It was famously be, uh, developed for cancer patients, but really they've expanded it. Anybody who's in the end of life, they're a terminal from whatever disease and they're in pain. These people are absolute angels and they make people's last days as comfortable and as tranquil as possible so they can enjoy their family around them in the final hours, laugh a little bit, cry a little bit, play some cards, whatever, and everybody has a sense of closure. Well, we found out that if people go to Calvary now and they go in stage four lung cancer, they only have a few weeks to live. Now they pass away. Now they test the remains and they find that somehow this person had acquired COVID-19 either before they went there or during their stay at Calvary. And we know that the COVID-19 was definitely not the cause of death. The person went there with lung cancer, and now they're dead. Well, that's dying with COVID-19, not dying from COVID-19. Well, these people are taking these deaths, and they're listing them as COVID-19 deaths. This is something that has been covered as long ago as, say, about six weeks ago. I remember watching 
an interview on one of the news stations. I only saw it played once. didn't last in the news cycle very long. That's what they do. Things they don't want you to know about, they either hide it in the news cycle or they put it in one time and they don't revisit it. They don't hammer you with it every single day until that's all you can think about. They only do that with things they want you to know, things that they want you to be afraid of. And this was an interview with three different undertakers. And the undertakers were all perplexed, saying, it's amazing. Nobody's dying of anything other than COVID-19 in New York. Every dead person we get, they all have on their list COVID-19, 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 COVID-19. Got into a car accident, COVID-19. It doesn't matter. They put down COVID-19. Now, the federal government is giving every state approximately $14,000 for every COVID-19 death that we have. They are giving the states approximately $38,000 for every COVID-19, for every intubation associated with COVID-19. There's a lot of financial incentive that's driving these things and how these states are, are manipulating figures. Now, in the state of New York, in the city of New York, we have a situation where both those governments, both the state government and the city government, spent themselves into virtually bankruptcy. I, I, I expect that the state of New York is going to be restructuring a lot of things. They cannot continue to go the way they're going financially, and the city of New York as well. And they're using this COVID-19 as a way of trying to fill up the state coffers and be holding to their unions as they are, while they expect everybody else to sit by and watch their businesses lie in ruin because they were prevented from opening them for extended periods of time, every government, state, city worker was all, were all getting paid. In any event, all this money that's coming into the state, this played into, I, be, I believe, a lot of the decisions. Now, Cuomo, the governor, took a little heat. They, they harped on this in the news cycle for a little bit, but they, now it's starting to fade away for his stupid decision to mandate that nursing homes in New York State, if they had available bed space, were obligated to take COVID-19 infected patients. Now, if you were short on beds and you were trying to maximize as much bed space as you possibly could in a given state, I might be able to see that, even though I think the risks outweighed the benefit, but I might be able to see it. But there was no reason to do this because the federal government, at the behest of the president, set up an incredible 3,000-bed hospital in the Javits Center. I drove by that thing every day when I was bike riding while, while my businesses were closed. And I would talk to these National Guard troops, and they say they're not sending us anyone because it wasn't an intake center, you see. It was designed just to treat COVID-19 patients so that the regular hospitals that had all of the uh, medical equipment and diagnostic tools at their disposal to treat a wide variety of diseases, quite apart from COVID-19, would be open and available so that they could take in those patients. So the way it was supposed to work is that when you went into a hospital emergency room or you were tested by a doctor or whatever, and you were confirmed to have had COVID-19, they could transfer you to the Javits Center where they would deal with the COVID-19. Likewise, the hospital ship was originally sent to New York Harbor to act as an additional hospital, not COVID-19, because it's mobile. They're moving it back and forth, so they didn't want COVID-19 patients. Their objective was to act as like an additional hospital so that there was a lot of pressure on the hospitals. We would take some of the, they would take some of the regular patients so that 
there was more available space for COVID-19 patients. But they had the Javits Center there. And then the governor asked the president to make that a COVID uh, facility as well, and it was. Between the two of them, I don't think there were uh, 300 patients, maybe 400 at most, that were COVID-19 patients. I don't think there was anything. And I was puzzled by that. Why would you not send COVID-19 patients to facilities like that and then send them to nursing homes? And then after speaking to some friends of mine who work in nursing homes, you learn that people began dropping like flies when they were taking these COVID-19 patients. Now, we don't know everything about this COVID-19 virus, but one thing we do know is that elderly people are very much at risk from this virus. So why would you send people to an environment which is populated by elderly people, many of whom have comorbidities? But that's exactly what Cuomo did. Now, to tell you how bad this is, not just Cuomo, but Governor Murphy in New Jersey, the governor of Pennsylvania, Governor Whitmere in Michigan, Governor Newsom in California, five states. Now listen, be careful. Don't get this statistic screwed up, but you can take this to the bank. The number of deaths in the nursing homes alone in those five states, not the number of deaths total in those five states, but the number of deaths in the nursing homes alone in those five states account for 40% of all of the COVID-19 deaths in this country. Now, 40% is a hell of a number. So through government incompetence on the part of these governors, this pandemic has been on orders of magnitude greater than it otherwise would have been. Additionally, you have this idiot governor announcing new data, saying that now they find out that people that stay at home are at risk, that a lot of these transmissions take place from people staying at home. Well, that makes sense now. It makes sense in light of the study I quoted to you earlier, where they did this coughing study with, 40, with um, 45 people that they put into a room, made them cough for 30 minutes to see if they could measure the aerosolized transmission from droplets or whatever matter was being expelled when they coughed, and they found it was virtually non-existent. So this tells me that the way it's getting transmitted is either extremely close contact, intimate contact, kissing, whatever, or extended or protracted exposure. Now that's what you would get if you had people staying at home in close confines. And when you consider the amount of illegal immigration in New York City and the amount of illegal boarding houses with 15 to 20 people living in an apartment. You want to talk about a hotbed? You want to talk about an incubation environment that's ideal for the spreading of a contagion like this? That's it. And that explains why New York had such a high number of cases. Incompetence in management and a lot of things allowed because it's a sanctuary city, a lot of illegal immigration. So things are out of control, and it's out of control because your leaders don't know how to be in control, and yet they're fighting the president every step of the way.
Now, I brought you up to speed about Austin Tong's plight against Fordham University. I tried to bring you up to speed as best I could about the COVID-19 virus. I want to close out with one little number. We have heard now for weeks that Joe Biden is wiping the floor with Donald Trump in the presidential polls. Now, we all know that the further out you get from an election, polls mean less. And the closer you get, they mean a little bit more, generally speaking, uh, because the pollsters make money by being right. If they're wrong, nobody wants to listen to them anymore, so their stock goes down, they can't make as much money. So generally, regardless of how they skew the polls, as you get closer to the election, the numbers start closing if they had previously shown a disparity between one candidate and the other because they have to slowly get it accurate so that when the election happens, they don't look like they're wrong. Now, a lot of them didn't do that in 2016 because they were so armored against Donald Trump. And it came back to bite him in the butt. And that's why many people on the left still can't come to terms and accept his victory because they were told by people they believed that he was never going to win and that uh, Hillary Clinton was going to win. I mean, for laughs once in a while, I just go on YouTube and watch that montage where you have all these people that used to be on the five, like that fat schmuck Bennett saying, this race is over. That's it. It's over. It's over. It's two weeks ago. It's over. It's done. Put a fork in him. He's done. All of them kept saying it. And of course, Trump won. Well, now they're doing the same thing. Now, before we get into the polls themselves that showed these big numbers, folks, I'm going to say you're, you're intelligent people. You've seen Joe Biden. Do you really believe anybody could bring themselves to vote for that idiot? And maybe it's not right to call him an idiot because a lot of these problems aren't his fault. Joe Biden had a very serious operation a number of years ago where they had to open up his skull and operate on his brain. When you have a surgery like that, down the road, it comes back to haunt you. It does have lingering effects that manifest themselves later in life. The man is suffering. He's suffering from dementia. He doesn't know who he is or where he is half the time. So why would you run somebody like this? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they don't believe they have anybody else that can even come close to beating Donald Trump. They believe if they put Bernie Sanders in there, who would unapologetically admit exactly what he is, a radical socialist communist, they would get a shellacking not only in the presidential election, but down ballot in the congressional and senatorial races as well. So they picked old Uncle Joe, who's been around for decades, everybody knows him, figuring that he's non-threatening and that he would minimize down-ballot damage. And who knows, if they get lucky and something really bad happens with the economy or Trump, like COVID-19, maybe they can eke out a victory. That's what their thinking is. And so that's why they picked Biden. But they know full well that if he gets elected, he's never going to run the country. In fact, I would suspect they'd pick a really young, radical vice president. And since the Constitution says you can only run for two terms, but you can serve 10 if you took over uh, within two years of the end of somebody else's term, I suspect that if Biden were to get elected, he would be president for the first two years. And after two years and one day, he would announce that he was stepping down for health reasons. And the vice president would then be able to serve the remaining two years of his term and then run for two consecutive terms. Nobody's talking about this either. That's why you're here at MPO. National Preview Online. 
And please visit our website, MP, uh, nationalpreviewonline.com. We'll be putting up new articles there shortly. But getting back to this, Stacey Abrams' name has been thrown out there. Now, you want to talk about somebody that hits all the numbers in the progressive left's uh, desirability uh, rating? She's it. She's female. She's black. She's a lesbian. That's exactly what they would like to see running this country for 10 years. Now, I don't really care if a person is black or white or lesbian or gay or straight if they had their head screwed on right and they knew what was right and what was wrong. These people seem to think what's wrong is right and what's right is wrong. We see this all the time. I said this last week when we talked about the McCluskeys defending themselves against a mob, and you've got some idiot prosecutor trying to say that they were uh, overreacting to peaceful protests. Well, bashing in the gate and invading a private community is not peaceful, in my opinion. So when they talk about Biden running, this is why they're putting him up. But let's get back to those polls that show this big lead. Well, first of all, the latest polls now show Trump narrowing the gap. It's 44 to 47 in Biden's favor. And you want to know something, folks? It's actually a lot better than that for Trump. He's actually ahead. I'm going to tell you why. When these polls were looked into, all these big polls, they discovered what? They discovered that the pollsters were undersampling Republicans by a large margin. Only 28% of those polled were Republicans. The rest of them were Democrats and some independents. Now, the problem is in general elections, more than 28% of the people who turn out are Republican. People who identify as Republican or registered as Republican usually count for anywhere from 38 36 to 38 percent of the people who turn out to vote. So when you factor those numbers in, you'd see that Biden wouldn't be ahead in any of those polls. He'd be behind in all of them. And I think these Democrats are in for a rude awakening. And I think there's a twofold purpose in why they're doing this. The first purpose is they want to convince people that it's hopeless so you stay home. They're hoping that you stay home. They want you to convince that every Republican has regrets about Trump, and they're trying to use propaganda to get you to stay home and suppress your turnout in the hopes they can get by. The ancillary advantage of this strategy is that if it goes that way against them and they lose anyway, they will have so convinced their base and these radical young kids who are going around destroying everything that Biden was supposed to win, that they will automatically buy into any allegation the media makes immediately following the election that there was fraud or Russian interference or what have you, to have more discord and unrest to try and derail anything that the president wishes to accomplish in his second term. But I don't think they're going to be able to stop him. Because here's my prediction as we come to the end of the show of what's going to happen. And of course, things could always change, but I don't think they're going to. Donald Trump is going to win re-election. He is going to win re-election in a convincing fashion by a greater margin than he won election the first time. And if the Democrats and the left and the media continue on the path that they have chosen to take, and if these riots and protests continue, pulling down statues, vandalizing property, Honest, hardworking people, which is still the bulk of this country, are going to rise up and they're going to vote for the only 
possible choice, the only man who stands between them and those anarchists. And that man is Donald Trump. And once he's reelected, and it may even happen before, the fruits of the Durham investigation are going to come to fruition. And they're going to be indictments. There's not going to be a report. There's going to be indictments. And people very high up in the previous administration are going to be named in those indictments. They're going to be charged, and they're going to be hauled off to prison. And that's going to send a message, a message to everyone in Congress that no one is above the law. Oh, they'll scream and they'll whine if Lisa Page is sent to jail or Peter Strzok is sent to jail for falsifying emails. But when people like James Clapper start getting smacked down, John Brenner, and maybe James Comey, the former FBI, people who are very, very high-ranking, people who could be considered contemporaries with a congressman or a senator. You're going to see the anuses of certain people in Congress pucker up, and they're going to shut their other orifice, the one that's in the center of their face, and not be so quick to criticize and put everything out there on Front Street because they know they're lying. It may just be a matter of time before somebody catches up to them. Please catch up with us every time we're on. Please subscribe to National Preview Online. Our listing will be coming up shortly with Apple, in which case you'll be able to follow us and subscribe. But right now we're still on podbean.com. So please follow us. Search us out on Podbean, National Preview Online, and we'll be happy to stay in touch with you. Uh, email us at nationalpreviewonline at gmail.com and give us some questions or things you'd like us to cover. As I said when I made our inaugural podcast a few weeks ago, uh, actually just last week, we're always going to podcast at least a minimum of once a week. I set that out as an absolute bare minimum. But in reality, we'll be doing two, three, or four a week, depending on the news cycle. And since we are in an election cycle, we expect to be do them, doing them pretty frequently. Thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you Monday.